<gasps> Debs, I'm so sorry. No, Russell, I understand. I actually left home late and arrived early, like some kind of superhero. Why are you late? Uh, the trains are a lot more complicated than I mm. anticipated. I haven't been on a tube for a long time. I was going to say, is it because you're a huge celebrity and yep. you get driven everywhere? Uh, yep. I'm surprised to see you without Rocky, your dog. I know. Well, I did actually consider it when I was walking him this morning to have his morning, you know, business. I thought, could I crowbar Don't... him into the museum we're visiting today? You would, you would have thought because he, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen you without Rocky. Right. So it's nice to see that you are actually two individuals. Uh, it is in itself a very impressive building, isn't it? It's an impressive design. It's an impressive design. Yes, thank you. This is, this is why I brought you, Russ. We can hear uh, this fountain outside with lots of water. There's a pigeon in there having a lovely time. We had a big party of school kids just went past. We're now going to go and explore the design museum. It's a brilliant, kind of brutalist building, it seems. There's like these kind of National Theatre Barbican-esque struts which are coming up with this tilted concrete beton brute roof and then these big glass panels it it is a a stunning building i'm just going to pause you right there Mm. for the uninitiated Mm. listener Mm. brutalist brutalist architecture yeah this is why is it called brutalist i've because i and by why uninitiated listener i mean me i've never understood that term what does it mean it just means it's a bit concrete it's brutal it's brutal it's rough edges it's uh unfinished surfaces so the concrete's left rough it has a brutal feel so people were, were finding it brutal to look at it's meant to be i love the fact that people get so angry about it so I think we should go in, and okay. as we go in, I'd like you to admire the fact that I thought about design when I got dressed this morning. Yeah, you look like a really nice piece of furniture. <laughs> I'm wearing a tabard. Oh. I look like an art teacher, let's yeah, be incredibly honest. Hello, I'm the comedian and screenwriter Deborah Francis-White, best known for the Guilty Feminist podcast. And I am Russell Tovey, actor, podcaster, writer, and dear, dear friend of Deb's. And we are here together at the Design Museum for... Meet Me, me at, at the museum. museum! Hello, Hi. welcome to the Design Museum. Thank you. What's your name? Phoebe. Thank you, Phoebe. I'm Russell. This is Debs. So I've got a National Art Pass. Does it get me anything here? We're always on the hustle. It does indeed. So we are a free museum, open to all, but your Art Pass gets you 50% off our paid exhibitions. Oh, right. Oh, well, we love, a, we love a bargain. Any so... discount in the bookstore or...? The gift uh, shop? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, that's but fine. But you could always give it a try with retail. Always. Yeah. Russell on the hustle. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they call him. So we have walked in and there are these tera- massive terrazzo kind of tiled concrete floor. It is like a cathedral in here in the height. And again, you can see the design from the outside that's kind of come into the inside as well. It, it's a beautifully high, spacious building. The ceiling is impressive. I feel like I'm Spider-Man and I could just <laughs> leap up into that web in the corner. Yes. And uh, there's well, something... Just hang out there in your tabard. <laughs> there's something of the superhero <laughs> to this space. It makes me feel... A cathedral makes me feel small, yes. and which is meant to because yes. of the might of God. Absolutely. But this makes me feel like a superhero, like I could fly to the, to the ceiling. What an amazing feeling. I've, I've got it right now. <laughs> It's a tingle. It's well, yes, I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> I wanted to come to the Design Museum because I love art, but 
I am very interested in how art can be integrated into our everyday life, mm. how art can be functional, how functional things can be creative and beautiful. Bauhaus movement. And, well, exactly. This is why I've brought you, Russ. It's mm. a tactical error on my part because most people bring someone less famous than them, like their their auntie or their friend. I have brought someone more famous than me, which is a bit irritating of me. I've realised now I'm a bit irritated by myself doing that. I'm like, <laughs> no, I should have brought someone no one's ever heard of. But you'll say stuff like that and I'm going to learn from you. Well, the Bauhaus movement is about the fact that it was mass production, but it was seen as these are art forms. These are beautiful pieces of designed furniture that are functional, but they are in your house and they look good. Well, this is for everybody. This is what I want to learn about because yeah. I love the things in my life. I yeah. love my handbags or my shoes or my uh, toothbrush or whatever. I yeah. love it to be beautiful and I care about that. Yeah. But I feel I don't know enough about how designers design and where they're coming from. And I think I'm a very verbal person yeah. and you're very visual yes. as well as being verbal. So basically I've brought <laughs> you because you're better than me. You're more, famous, <laughs> you're more famous than me and you're going to explain things to me. Yeah, in a way I'll that, try. I'll try. I mean, I don't know everything, but yeah, let's go. You know, I, I'm, I don't need you to know everything. I need you to know a bit more than me, but not too much more than me because I, I want to feel clever. So we're now on the top floor. We are up near this spider web that you were discussing as we walked in and we are walking past this big shuttered did you hear that noise yes that's the shutters turning and on one side it says design and the other side it says user on a third side of these shutters it says maker because and do you know how i guessed that how because the exhibition is called design and maker user debs you know too much here we go this is really interesting so this looks like everyday objects that people enjoy like uh, what have we got here? These are like, there's, there's your, your, your vacuum cleaner there. There's a hot water bottle, an old Nokia. I remember that one. This is like a whole wall of nostalgia. Mm, Vogue magazine. Yes. Here we go. So what does design mean to you? We asked you to tell us about the designs that are important to you. We were looking for affordable, everyday designs that meant something special. This crowdsourced wall is a result. Some things are here because they do their job well. Some have been nominated because they are beautiful. Others carry special personal memories. Well, that Nokia carries a lot of memories for me. Yes. Underground I, sign. I was nervous of going to a smartphone because I could text so quickly yeah. on a Nokia. Yeah. With your eyes closed. Predictive text. Predictive text. I used to do that as a party trick. I could do the predictive. Now I wouldn't be able to, of course. This cassette tape, mm. that's very nostalgic for me. Do you remember of course. it getting trapped in the machine and mm. then having to Brilliant. wind it around with a pencil? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you'd pull it out and it'd all sort of unravel as you pulled it out and you'd be going, no, 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 no don't take this off the radio. It'll never <laughs> yeah. come on again. Yeah. You could spend hours just staring at this wall and breaking down what we're seeing in front of us. You really could. But I love that this is crowdsourced because this really speaks to the fact that there is design in our everyday life. And just because something isn't designer, i.e. some fancy people haven't decided that this is another level of design that somehow deserves a much higher price tag, it doesn't mean that everything in your life isn't designed in some way or another. It is. Well, I think everything, and I think this is why it, I find it offensive when arts are being seen as superfluous, is that actually everything here has been designed by someone who is in the arts. These all come from an artistic, creative education. You know, these yes. have all, even though they aren't, you might not know the designer, someone somewhere has had to design these, and that comes from the arts. And that means they've had to question what's there and say what could be there. Yeah. We think of technology now as you know, our laptop that won't work, but... In fact, 
a chair is technology. Absolutely. And the very first person who invented the chair mm. must have said, there must be something better than the ground. And probably other, I don't know, primitive cave people said, what's wrong with the ground, mate? Is it too good for you? Somebody had to sit on a rock and think this would be more comfortable if it had a back. Yeah. I don't know that that's exactly how it happened. I am making I, this up. No, I think but, it might be. But it must have. It must have, in some way or another, right, someone must in. have questioned what was there. Exactly. Like, we're questioning what was there now. I love the way that you find art so delicious and so exciting, but you don't make me feel patronised like a straight man would. Right. right. <laughs> well, it's because I'm a gay man. But also, it's... Um, yeah, art for me is everything. I find it, I find it so intoxicating. I find it fun. I get so excited, as I was saying, walking into the design museum today, I get so excited about being around creativity on that level that I've always been, whenever it comes to art things, sort of felt like shut out, felt like it's a members club, felt like it's elitist. But actually, when you realise that people are making work for you, they're not making it for rich collectors or to go on gallery walls. They want to connect with as many people as possible and you realize that these artists are doing it for you and these designers are doing it for you then you think oh right it's for me i'm allowed in and the thing about art is that what i always say is that it is just a different form of storytelling we're used to watching a movie we can critique movies we can break it down the the direction the the score the acting we can read books we like their writing we like their dialogue we listen to music I don't video like this games, song video games video games we get it but we games. haven't got the medium of art accessible to us to critique mm. because it isn't something that's shown to us so when you see it you have no real comparisons you have no understanding until someone says to you this is how you should look at this painting so we're going past a mosaic wall that has design dates of relevance that are important for the history of design. Now, I love fashion. So for me, 1966, Mary Quant and the miniskirt is a big old deal. And look at her little pixie collar that she had and the, uh, the almost like a bowl haircut, ah, like a yes. page boy. Yes, yes, yes. And then we're seeing some video here, I think of pattern making. Shoemaking, all this sorts of designers. Absolutely. So yeah, this is uh, we're going into this now, and it's, it is basically saying that everything is design. We've got the London Transport Underground map, and obviously the design that went into that must have been extraordinary. I can't even imagine, because my mind doesn't work that way, how you would design the underground, and then how you would des design the underground map, which doesn't really reflect. The underground, it reflects how you use the underground. So that takes a very different sort of mind than mine. Yeah, I think this was uh, made in the late 1920s after decades of growth uh, and a series of mergers. It was uh, a network that was very complex, as you said, but uh, it has been created in this kind of conventional map. It was made in 1931, according to the sign. You learn a lot here at the Design Museum. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of signage. A lot of signage, but... I would imagine not all of these tube stops were on it then. No, no, we've seen a lot. I mean, a lot of tube stops are missing from the one we're looking at here. But who? we've got someone in front of us here who could tell us all about it. Who, who are we talking to? Hi, I'm, uh, my name's Tom. I'm head of connecting at the Design Museum. Great. And I'm very pleased welcome here. Thank you. Wonderful. So, so if you look after the collections that we were just talking about this map, why for you do you think this is relevant for this exhibition? Because it's such a, an innovative take mm -hmm. on an old, old problem. Yeah. 
how can you make a transport system that invisible, understandable and easily legible? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Harry Beck was a technical designer. He had training in drawing electronic diagram. And he thought, oh no, I can apply that. That makes sense, because this looks like a microchip in some ways. So, Harry Beck, thank you very much for making it simpler for us to get around in London. And also, it's iconic. And great pieces of design often become iconic. People have tea towels of this and shower curtains of this. And and you recognise it anywhere you are in the world. You'll see it and you'll go... It takes you right back to the London Underground. Absolutely. And here we have New York, the subway in New York. Yes, again, terrifying. It didn't take off. It It didn't take off? It didn't take off. No. It was seen too abstract, too complicated. So so there's one next to it, and this is one that I'm used to. Yes, Yes, and this is one you get. But, I mean, it is so intricate, and it does, when you do go to a new country and you see their metro system, their subway system, it takes a long time to acclimatise yourself to it. Absolutely. This one, the London one came first. London was first to do this in the world. Absolutely. There we go. And it went globally. Well done, London. (laughs) We're proud of our home team. (laughs) So when did you turn that light on inside of you and become an art collector? What what was that turning point? I've always been a collector from growing up. I collected anything. I had rocks and minerals. I had phone cards. I had Star Wars so figures. So you had your own museum in your bedroom at home? I used to have the kids from up the road come in and they would look at, they would look at everything in my bedroom. Did they bring I a national it. art pass? <laughs> yeah, and they got 50% off. So <laughs> the entrance to my bedroom. But there used to be all bits and bobs and knickknacks and my mum used to take me around. We'd go around boot sales, we'd go around Atlantique's markets and... That again, grateful to my mum because she was always encouraging, always like feeding my enthusiasm. And I, me going to like a Saturday boot sale with my mum to rummage through boxes of stuff gave me the biggest pleasure. That's interesting because that's like a local museum in a way, a carpet sale. Because a carpet sale is, is, or a jumble sale, is a collection of what has been in someone's life. Yeah. And I think you'll find a lot of design in. Those places, nineteen oh, sixties sunglasses, and, yeah, and this was a time when I sort of educated myself about what I loved and what I liked, and someone else's trash was my treasure. And I would go through and I'd find these pieces and I'd be like, they don't really realise how exciting this is, how brilliant this is. I can get this for 20p. I can get this for 20p. And because you're a little kid, they're like, yeah, go on then, mate, you can have it really cheap. I am not, oh. don't look like a dealer. You know, I'm sure if you do it now, <laughs> they're going to be like, uh, they're putting another zero on the end. But it, it was really, and it still is, incredibly exciting to do that. Oh, I am pullulating with excitement. Oh, wow. So we're going into a main room now and there is like a circular structure and inside there's these <gasps> Perspex boxes with fashion inside. Double out. Love to show you. This tuxedo by Neve St. Laurent. Here we go. Absolutely called, um, beautiful. It's called the least smoking tuxedo. which refer to... The tuxedo being an uniform for a male space, the smoking room, where women were simply not allowed. What he had done is he had taken, applied men's tailoring to women's fashion. So, at the time, men only were allowed into smoking rooms, or traditionally had been, or will the men go and smoke after dinner, and they would wear evening dress, which in America was called a tuxedo. 
And so this is the smoking tuxedo and this ushered in an age for women where well, we can retire to the smoking room and have important conversations too, thanks very much. Absolutely. It really was about empowering women to wear clothes that were only worn by men in position to influence and power. Influence and power, interesting. I think that, that speaks to the tabard. Yeah, designed by Yves Saint Laurent in 1966. So I guess in that period in history, this was kind of unheard of, that women would wear a tuxedo? Well, Marlene Dietrich was doing it in the 30s, right. but it was seen as cross-dressing then. I think by the 60s, it was more of a stylish fashion choice for women. So it wasn't as radical or...? It was cutting-edge, but I don't think it spoke to your gender presentation in quite the same way. Got it. Wow. I've always been one for androgynous fashion, always been drawn to it. I find patriarchal power in taking stuff that was traditionally... Subverting it. Yes, traditionally hoarded by men. So, for example, around my neck, and this is a piece of my own design, Russ, I bought from a second-hand dealer a coin that was taken out of circulation because it was vandalised by suffragettes wanted the vote. But this, they have damaged the coin by writing votes for women on one side and WSPU on the other side, which was the Women's Social Political Union. And they made it valueless. They devalued this coin by vandalising it. Now, ironically, it's now worth a lot of money. Mm. But I designed it myself, this, because that was a coin and I turned it into a charm by commissioning a jeweller to make a gold ring around it. And then I put it on this Victorian guard chain, which was what a very fancy Victorian gentleman would use for his pocket watch. Mm. And that's my piece of patriarchal jewellery because I've taken what the suffragettes damaged, made it into a piece of jewellery and stuck it on the end of a chain that some fancy Victorian man used when he was strutting around London thinking he and his would only ever own it. And now I do. Oh, we've got to look at these quickly. So we're going past the section here, and this is kind of crazy because this is our lifetime, but we're looking through all the generations of iPhones and iPods. And now these are seen as antiques, you know? Yes. But these were absolutely, like, cutting edge when these first came out. All of these iPod shuffles. I had one of these. These, I had it in 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 a lime green. All of these beautiful colours. This is the kind of thing that makes me tingle. All of these beautiful colours together. Yes. I'm sure it's a hunter-gatherer thing from the time when I would have died if I hadn't collected the shiniest berries. Look, look, they've got the original Apple Mac there. The one that, <gasps> the like, iMac the as iMac. well. Everyone oh, that was the, such a beautiful design, Beautiful the with that kind of clear plastic on the side. And the and... iBook. These were stunning. All the bright colours that Steve Jobs clearly loved. And Walkmans. Do you remember your Walkman? Yes, absolutely. Now, young people listening today, you will not remember this, but we used to carry cassettes around... And we couldn't have a thousand songs in our pocket, like Steve Jobs offers us. We could have what was on the cassette until yep. the batteries ran down. Yeah. And we'd walk around thinking we were cool as. Cool as. Cool as. I had Abba Gold and Janet Jackson single together again. Uh, so. Uh, you, what, you say that so proudly. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Um, yeah, so we're just going past uh, a film now that talks about the design choices and the history of design that goes through all of the uh, 
what we were just talking about with the Apple Macs and with the iPads and iPods. And you, I love places like this in museums because you can sit and watch a little film and it's, it's an excuse to stop and rest. Yes, and there's nobody a bench stops there. you. There's a, there's a, a designed bench Beautifully there. designed bench. Yes. Oh, wow, this is a great room. We're now, we're now walking through a section, uh, the maker section, parts of all showing the evolution of technology and how different media are converging into the smartphone. So you see here, we've got the radio, we've got telephone, we've got calculator and computer, and in the middle is the smartphone, which is becoming... This is like a family tree we're seeing on the wall, which is a family tree of, of the smartphone design of, yes. of what you're saying here, cassettes, the way we're going from records here, <gasps> like further back from records. I mean, I don't even know what that is. What was number 15? Uh, a transistor radio. Yes. So we're going all the way through Space up to the TV. present day. And, and you know what? When you actually see it like this laid out in front of you, it's incredible, the development, and yet there's still more to go. You yes. Know, in 30 years, this is going to be twice the size. I love all of this, though. These old television sets, this one is what they imagined we'd be watching in the year 2021 right. because it was like a space-age design, something you see on the Jetsons. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Of course, we're not doing that we've streamlined it's not all round and, and boxy no. it's flat hangs on the wall like a picture exactly like a piece of art this your is... television can be a piece of art now so russell i've just dragged you into the sneakers unboxed you didn't Exhibition. need to drag me in. This, to me, is brilliant. I find sneakers fascinating. Are you a big sneaker man? I noticed you might be wearing some Yeezys there. Uh, I might be. I, I, love, I love sneakers. I love trainers. Absolutely. I completely get when people get obsessed with it because they are design pieces. I know you're not really a fashion guy because you didn't say a sneaker or a trainer. Uh, fashion people always speak in the singular. I love a sneaker. Uh, oh. So, yeah. Uh, my favourite ever Trini and Susanna line was, what you need is a smart gene and a fun trainer. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, now, this won't be here by the time this podcast goes out, but you can see it online. And what will be here, I'm very excited about, is an Amy Winehouse exhibition. Yes, because behind the scenes. Because I live in Camden Town so, and have done for a very long time. So I was in Camden in my flat, unsurprisingly, the morning that we woke up to these super sad news that Amy Winehouse had passed away. So I am feel very connected to her because of the Camden community mm. and all the live music venues she played. So I will be back here to see Amy Absolutely. off mic. Yep. Come, because you might bump into me and then we can have coffee. Yeah, we used to hang around as kids. Did you? Yeah. You and Amy? Yeah. Oh, my God. What would you expect to see then in the Amy Winehouse design exhibition? Well, I guess so you'd expect to see wigs. You'd expect to see costumes and, and... Russ, I've just been told that you're going to be able to see handwritten lyrics of Amy Winehouse's here. It's wow. going to be very personal. Mm. And so I think you and I should definitely come back together. Yeah, it sounds incredibly moving. Hello, Lara. Hi, nice Thank to meet you. Thank you so much for meeting us here. Um, I hear that you, like Alice in Wonderland, have special backstage routes and can take us somewhere a little bit more underground. Incredibly exciting. 
Very exciting. Yep, I'm an assistant curator at the Design Museum and we're um, just standing outside the collection store, um, which is where we keep the museum's collection. So it's all the bits and pieces that people have gifted us over the years or we've bought because we think they're particularly exciting pieces of design. And in the collection store, there's all sorts from sort of TVs and sneakers and posters and a lot of chairs. Yeah, it's very exciting in there. And I so a lot of people can't get back here to see this. So this today is a bit of an exclusive for me and Debs. Yeah. Yeah, so we're standing outside the window now and you can sort of peer into it as the public, but usually you can't go in there because we have to keep the objects at a certain temperature and make sure they're all conserved. So this is really the sort of behind the scenes of the museum. I'm a little worried now because Russell and I are very hot. We are very, we're may, very clammy we, and we, we, we always sit on chairs. We so may, we, we're so hot we may affect <laughs> the, temperature. the temperature in there and that may corrode some of your most important items. But listen, we're willing to risk it if yeah. you are, Laura. We'll take the risk. So we're going into the storeroom now where you have all these design pieces that are like archived and kept perfectly pristine for future generations is going to outlive all of us. But uh, we're looking at these kind of cages on the wall here that are supporting lots of artworks. There's a massive surfboard there, carved surfboard. There's like an electric bike. There's like a little pedal bike. These, these I mean, this storeroom must get really busy. What do you do when this overflows too much? eBay, is it? Or <laughs> <laughs> What Russ is saying is, would anyone notice if we just took one? Yeah. I mean, just one, just yeah. that, that's fine. Uh, so we've, we're getting this sneak preview of Waystage, which will be out live on the floor by the time this podcast goes out. Mm. So listeners, if you're listening with your ears, you can come down and see what we're seeing, but in a bigger room, work better lit. What is Waystage? So Waystage is an exhibition about the climate crisis, but really through the perspective of design. And for quite a long time, the museum and the curatorial team was wondering how, how do we tell the story of the climate crisis and make it relevant for for our museum and our visitors. Um, And waste is really a a huge part of the climate crisis, and it's very much a problem of design. Designs help make it because designers work with plastics, they work with materials that are toxic. The construction industry and architecture, they all produce a lot of waste. Um, But there's also sort of in the exhibition we expose this take-make-waste economy, but then we also ask what can design do about it. So how can design we think the systems use new materials sort of biomaterials um, use existing waste streams to create new products and really help solve this problem of the climate crisis or if not solve it then at least help them not make it any worse yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. sustainability yeah. yeah it's scary isn't it really what's happening and we are aware of it and we each individually can do our bit but we need help from higher up. Sometimes I speak at conferences about diversity and inclusion and often the speaker before me is an expert in sustainability or the future. They're a futurist and they often say, oh, well, soon we're going to run out of water and that's going to be the precious commodity, the way oil has been. And I just always think, can I be dead by then? Mm. And that's often what I think when I hear about the future. I think, ah. maybe that'll happen after I've died. And that is a terrible thing to be thinking because mm. I think when I was younger, I wanted to live forever. Mm. And now I'm like, I think I've probably lived at the very best time in terms of choice and luxury and convenience. And water. 
Yeah, and water. So when you look to the future, you think, gosh, is climate change going to change the way nearly everybody, well, everybody in this world lives? And is that why Bezos is so keen to get off the planet? Mm-hmm. So not to be doomsday about this, because I think we can save more than we're currently saving of our future, but I'm glad I'm not 12. But it is Generation Z who are looking to their future and teaching us, and I need to be taught by those young people how to leave a better planet for them. So uh, when I when I look at young people like Greta Thunberg and Younger, her army of young people who climate, you know, do the school climate strikes and things like that. I, I am inspired and I am hopeful Same. as much as I'm yeah, scared. Yeah, I'm hopeful, yeah. It feels at times hopeless, but I'm in, looking to the generations below. Mm-hmm. I feel incredibly hopeful. So we've just walked through the collection stores, which is basically... If you imagine like library bookshelves that wind back and forth in big libraries or archives, as you've come around the corner, you might have noticed there's sort of a bit of a background sound of the fans. And that's because our collection store has to stay at about 19 degrees for all the objects. Hopefully we don't raise the temperature too much. (laughs) We're trying our best not to. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting hot in here. Yeah. 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 So can you show us something? So the first is this tiny little chair. Um, this is made by Jane Atfield. I'll pass it, pass it to you. It's a children's chair, and would one of you like to sort of describe it? Yes, it's a tiny little chair for a baby, really, for a, a toddler, and it's very multicoloured, and I'm intrigued as to what it could be made of. I think it looks like recycled bottles, or it's, it's obviously a recycled object that's been made into furniture, so it's using our waste and then reconditioning it into something we could be, and you can see little fragments inside it of, I suppose if you like glass, it's quite textured at points. Is it yeah. all bottles? Have we guessed that it correctly? It is, you have guessed it correctly, so I sort of know. shampoo bottles, plastic <gasps> bottles, but this chair was actually made in 1992, so it's one of the earlier examples of designers have actually been engaging with waste for quite a long time. We are seeing a lot of that now though people yeah. like designers and everybody look, thinking about recycled bottles and putting them into furniture pieces. 1992 is very early to be thinking about this because I don't think, we were talking about holes in the ozone layer in the 90s, early 90s mm-hmm. but I don't think we were we were thinking like this or certainly I wasn't or it wasn't in the public imagination in the way that it is now. Wonderful. Tell us about this brick. Yeah, so this brick's quite interesting and it also points to quite a lot of the challenge of waste ages. A lot of the objects just look pretty standard. This just, if you look at it, looks like a standard brick, um, but actually it's made from 90% recycled construction materials. Sort of telling exciting stories through everyday objects is can be quite challenging because you want the sort of sexy chairs or sexy sneakers, mm-hmm. but everyday bricks, and these can have a huge impact because... Um, Every year, the UK construction industry uses, I think it's 2.7 billion bricks and also knocks down a lot of buildings and those bricks go to landfill. And so... They just call it hardcore, don't they? Mm. That's what it's called. Your boyfriend is in the construction industry and now becoming an architect. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Would he get very excited by these bricks? Absolutely. We're very excited. There's a company called Granby Workshop, which is in Liverpool, and they work with the Assemble, who won the Turner Prize a few years back, and they recycle construction materials into beautiful uh, kitchen surfaces, fireplaces, tiles, and they look 
stunning. And these are things that you want to live with, but they come from a basis of sustainability. Not yeah. to make you sound inaccessible, but you are doing up a house in Margate. Yes. Uh, are <laughs> you using this kind of recycled and As uh, much as possible, material? we're going to salvage yards and finding the original bricks that have been sat there. As much as possible, we're using the materials that are local to the area or that have been discarded and bringing them back and putting them back into the house. So these things would be amazing. I notice you've got three of these bricks. Could Russell have one for his Margate artist <laughs> I mansion? I need the yellow one, his yes. art critic mansion. <laughs> <laughs> That was so fascinating and brilliant. It really was. And what I loved about it is sometimes you go to a museum and you feel like, oh, I don't know anything about any of this. Mm. And there's no way that any human being could come in here and not have a connection to something because everybody's either eaten Marmite or used a phone or or worn a dress. Looked at the underground map. Exactly. Used the underground map to get here and yeah. then find that very thing is hanging on the wall. So this is a place where I think if you don't know much about museums or you might think, oh, museums are a bit intimidating, this is a brilliant place to start because you will be inspired, you will be excited, Mm -hmm. you will learn, you will feel things, but you will not be intimidated because there's so much here that's accessible that you already use. Yes, and this show especially is going to make you reconsider what is design because design is all around us. The fact that we were talking about the map on the wall, the smartphone in your hand, the things you're listening to right now in your ears, it all comes from design and it's all been there, designed by someone for us and it keeps developing and changing. And just to see that the history and the family tree of development of technology, especially in design, is fascinating. Artists are so often ahead of the curve. So often we should look to designers to see what we might be using and therefore thinking about and concerned with Mm. in a decade's time, two decades' time. Mm. And I think that is something that inspired me here. I am going to look around and think about what I buy, how I recreate my space, because I saw the Waste Age exhibition. Mm. I'm going to start thinking more about what I waste and what I use and how that can come together with beauty Mm. and design and better choices. Buy second hand. Go vintage. I mean, Mm. you look at all the things here and how beautiful these objects still are. And I'm sure a lot of them still work when we're looking at technology. How amazing to now have something that was, you know, used decades ago. Mm. We'll be back for Amy Winehouse. You can tell me all about the stories about when you hung about with her as a kid. (laughs) I will. Thanks for listening to Meet Me at the Museum with me, Deborah Francis-White. And me, Russell Tovey, at the Design Museum in London. If you liked this episode of the podcast, please rate, subscribe or tell a friend in real life with your mouth. And don't forget, you can show your love for museums with a National Arts Pass. It gives you great benefits at hundreds of venues while raising money to support them.